This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one, a Sunday edition of the pod. Travis Schreier joined by Charlie Potter. And Charlie, typically a year, hasn't been the case, unfortunately, these last two years. But you go back to 2019, pre-2019. At one point, this was an exceptionally busy day on the preseason football calendar. Typically, Media day coincide with fan day and you'd have the open practice, but here we are in the early afternoon hours of this Sunday and we're talking about three virtual news conferences that we both took in here in the last little bit. Nick Saban, Pete Golding, uh, and also Bill O'Brien addressing the media via Zoom. And so Charlie, it's not exactly what we had grown accustomed to, again, back in 2019 and and prior to that. No, it's not. And uh, usually about this time, we'd probably just now be cooling down up in the press (laughs) box because (laughs) the the, um, craziness, the hectic nature of media day um, is you start over on Bryant Drive at the Malmore facility and you do the press conferences in person with – uh, Nick Saban and the coordinators. Then you have to jump in your car and fly over to Bryant Denny, where you do interviews in the end zone. Probably about fifteen or so players. Um, then they take their team picture, and then you can go up to the press box or you know go about your day and come back for practice viewing later. So it's a it's a busy day normally, like you said. But it's a shortened version today. They're going to kind of spread out what they're calling media day over the course of the next several days. Um, you know, we always get Saban and the, the coordinators kind of one of the first days of, of camp. And that was today. And I think we're going to get about nine players over the course of the next four days as they continue to, to practice. We'll get a couple of days of viewing periods as well. So, you know, not a lot of stuff in person yet. They're probably going to go four to six weeks with this Zoom call uh, set up like we've we've really become accustomed to. This is the new normal uh, for us. But um, hopefully things will you know, die down a little bit and and get back to normal. And maybe we can do some of these interviews in person. And that was the biggest thing about Friday's practice, just having the media viewing periods that we had. Uh, It it, it was, it felt normal in a lot of ways. Uh, We were both there on Friday afternoon. And what we'll do is we'll tie in some of the comments uh, that we heard from Nick Saban to uh, some of what has transpired over the first couple of days of fall camp. 2021. But Charlie, when you start with Nick Saban on Sunday, he, like so many others out there with uh, some genuine comments in relation to the passing of legendary coach Bobby Bowden. Coach Bowden, of course, passed away earlier 
today at the age of 91 and saving like so many people you come across, whether it's coaches, fans, former players, opposing players. It seems like everyone has a Bobby Bowden story. Nick Saban told once again the one involving himself and his family. Uh, Being a West Virginia native, of course, Bobby Bowden with ties to the state as a former coach at West Virginia. Um, And I, I thought it was indicative, once again, of more so just the person that Bobby Bowden was, more so than even the iconic coach. Yeah, I mean, you can tell. Uh, just what people thought of him as a person with all the outpouring of, of comments and pictures and things you've seen all over social media. And, and Nick Saban put out a statement this morning, you know, when the news dropped, but he also reiterated uh, what you were talking about uh, during his opening statement today. And, and that story is it, it just it kind of shows uh, what kind of person Bobby Bowden was. And the story is that you know, Nick Saban's father passed away when he was a graduate assistant at Kent State. And when Bobby Bowden was at West Virginia, he reached out and um, you know, offered him a spot on his staff to be closer to home. And you know, that's he doesn't have to do that. Um, but I, I think that you know Nick Saban being a guy just starting out his career and um, you know playing for a coach and, and John James probably had a little bit of a no, uh, notoriety, uh, so to speak. And um, you know I, I still think it, it shows just kind of what person, what kind of human being that, that Bobby Bowden was that he did that. And yeah, I mean, it, everybody I think is excited to be talking about football, to be back at practice, but it is a pretty sad day for the sport losing one of the legends like that. And in terms of, uh, you know, just sustainability, it speaks for itself. It also leads you to wonder how much longer Nick Saban might want to go, uh, in this business. But, uh, Bobby Bowden, for me, in my formative college football years as a fan, you go back to the mid-late 70s and just the way he totally not only resurrected that Florida State program, just made it relevant uh, on any level in college football, even back in the 70s and, you know, that incredible run that took him through really the 90s. It's kind of a shame that we did get to see Bobby Bowden and Nick Saban Uh, square off as the head coaches at Florida State and Alabama, but it was year one under Nick Saban at Alabama. That Alabama team, clearly uh, the least successful of Nick Saban's to this point of his time in Tuscaloosa, and really also at a point for Bowden where it was really starting to wind down for him at Florida State. But the numbers are what they are. The impact made is what it is. Again, I can go back to my formative years. My dad grew up with him in a uh, in a time when and he still is a very ardent University of Florida, but he loved Bobby Bowden to the point where it was tough for him at times. I think to pull for Florida in some games against Florida State, but uh, just speaks to the relatability that Bobby Bowden had as a person, the charm that he had, and of course we could do a whole podcast going back on to the potential scenarios that could have had. Bobby Bowden as the head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide didn't go down that way, uh, but I think it's worked out okay for all parties involved. More so, anything else, we like everyone else sending our thoughts to the Bowden family uh, on this sad day. Now, in terms of news value where Sunday is concerned, you always want to hear from Nick when it has to do with player availability. That was certainly uh, on the forefront of uh, of today's press availability. 
uh, Trey Sanders, Malachi Moore, uh, LeBron Ray, certainly some big news, unfortunately, again, for LeBron Ray on the injury front. And then also interesting there at the end of his time with the media, Charlie, some comments on Jalil Billingsley right now at this stage early on in fall camp. Yeah, I mean, days like today are are big for housekeeping. And, you know, going out on the practice field Friday, um, you know, just looking around, kind of doing roll as as well as you can, because we're only allowed to see um, or to stand at certain points. And with the outdoor setup uh, like they had Friday, the the tight ends and the running backs are the farthest away from us. And so I think that's why the Jalil Billingsley news uh, comes as a little bit of a surprise to people. Um, I heard after we got off the practice field, so this was maybe even the next day or maybe uh, that night. I don't I don't really remember when it was that someone just asked me was Jalil Billingsley at practice and. I was like, honestly, I, I couldn't tell just because of where the tight ends were positioned. And now we know that he probably wasn't. And uh, it was a, a bit of a surprise. It was probably the biggest news of this um, press conference just because he was asked about Jaleel Billingsley specifically and, and not for his availability, just a you know general question about his skill set. And he started that off with commitment. And that's really something that he's talked about um, the last several days. He mentioned that at the Knicks kids um Avenue Jubilee, where they renamed the the sign for Knicks kids or the street name for Rick, uh, Knicks kids. Uh, it was something he talked about where, you know, they have talent, but what is everybody's level of commitment? He reiterated that in his opening statement. And he, then he mentioned it again when talking about Jaleel Billingsley and said, you know, he's got to buy into the principles and values of the team and to be a good teammate and do uh, the things that everyone else in the organization, the organization does. And, um, you know, they're, they're trying to help them do that. And, he said, "Hopefully, he'll be back out there with us in a few days." So it sounds like, you know, a little bit of a disciplinarian thing. Um, maybe he's in the doghouse, so to speak. He didn't really give any more further details on that, and he probably won't uh, when it comes to matters like this. Nick Saban, you know, doesn't really say a whole lot. You'll remember back uh, before Alabama played Duke, uh, they had a few players miss about a quarter of the first half of that game um, because of disciplinary reasons. So it sounds like it's in. The same boat for Jaleel Billingsley. And then availability-wise, yeah, I mean, you know, if you were hoping to see LeBron Ray on the practice field, it, it sounds like you're going to have to wait a little longer because you know, he's dealing with what Nick Saban called a pretty significant groin injury uh, that he got toward the end of the summer. I think he's maybe had some surgery on that. I don't know that for certain, but he's going to be out a couple weeks. And um, you know, maybe he's available for game one. Uh, who knows at this point? That's going to be something we continue to monitor throughout camp but uh, another setback for him and, and that really that sucks because LeBron Ray is a guy that's dealt with injuries throughout his career uh, but there was some good news from an injury standpoint um, like I said you know we were out there and, and really doing roll call to see you know who was there and one of the things for me was to you know look at the guys that missed the spring and that was guys like Emil Echior and Pierce Quick and Fidarian Mathis and John Mechie and all those guys were out there it also includes Malachi Moore, who was out with a back injury since really the SEC championship game, and he didn't do anything in the spring. But you know, he was out there with the safeties. You know, he was participating, and Nick Saban said that you know he practiced every day so far. He did so in the summer, and uh, they're just being you know a little, maybe a little cautious because backs can be tricky just in terms of uh, you know reoccurring issues and things like that. And the best news, really, you know, talking about LeBron Ray and, and his reoccurring. Uh, issues or maybe never-ending uh, list of things that he's had to deal with is, is Trey Sanders. You know, he's a guy that uh, had a foot injury 
as a true freshman. He got in a car wreck last year and injured his hip. And um, you know, he was able to go through spring drills and do some individual work. And from everything I've heard, it's had a good summer. And, and Nick Saban said he's getting pretty close to 100%. So starting with the bad, working up to the good, that was really all the, the personnel and availability news for today. And you're, I know some of it's not what Alabama fans want to hear, but when the list is only four players long at this point, you gotta you got to feel pretty good about that. Yeah, and Sanders, it was very encouraging to see him out there on Friday. And when you talk about these guys specifically and their the positions they call home, still a lot of great competition going on along that defensive line, a lot of returning experience up front. So even without LeBron Ray up there, you didn't feel like, oh, wow, there's a huge void here. More than anything, you would just like it for LeBron Ray to be able to achieve his ceiling, meet his potential as a former five-star recruit at this point in his career. The poor guy's been through enough at this point. Running back with Trey Sanders in that mix just looks better and better. You know, Malachi Moore, we've talked about it on the podcast before. He sort of benefited maybe a year ago from inavailability from some other guys at the star position. Well, now you're looking at a spot where Brian Branch does have experience to go along with Malachi more there at the slot corner. So uh, you don't like to see guys out, but I think in each of these particular instances, other than potentially Jalil Billingsley, he changes a lot when he's out there at the tight end position. Uh, it, it does kind of speak to the depth at a lot of these places. It does, yeah. And I mean, you don't want to you know discount anyone or, or anything like that, but Alabama can, you know, put out a Brian Branch and feel good about the star position. You know, they have a, a deep stable of running backs with some young guys that have done some good things in the in the summer, and that includes true freshman Kamar Wheaton. And then on the defensive line, yeah, they, they have plenty of depth there. And, um, you know, some guys that have been in the program for a while now that are going to continue to be, um, you know, big parts of the, the defense. But, yeah, if, if if for some reason Jaleel Billingsley isn't a part of this offense, that changes things. Because we've talked all summer long, dating back to the spring, just the, the question marks at wide receiver. And while I think that group is really coming on, you need a guy like Jaleel Billingsley to take some pressure off of those other other receivers and and uh, be a target for Bryce Young. Now, I, I think it's you know going to be uh, important for Cameron Latou and maybe beneficial that he's getting these reps because he's continuing to get more and more comfortable at that tight end position. But Billingsley is a difference maker. You know, he's a guy that could end up being All SEC at the end of the season. I know uh, you know Jalen Watermeyer at uh, Texas A and M is probably. You know, he make a case for the, the best tight end in the country, but Jaleel Billingsley's not far behind. And um, so I, I think the, the quicker they can get him back on the field, the better. But for the most part, um, these things that you know, Nick Saban pointed out to us, it's, it's not just, you know, make or break. I think they can weather the storm through a lot of these. But the, but the good news is, is uh, you know, guys like Trey Sanders and Malachi Moore and the guys that were out in the spring, they're back and they're, they're close to 100%, if not at 100%. Yeah. yeah and, uh, again, all in all, not the worst of scenarios right now as we move through the early stages of 2021 fall camp and glowing commentary from been on Sunday in response to questions about Will Anderson and Evan Neal. I don't think there's any big surprise in, in what Nick had to say about those two guys. I, I think, if anything, uh, 
for me anyway, most encouraging is that the intangibles he talks about with these two immensely talented, physically gifted individuals, seems like Nick just can't say enough about their work ethic and their leadership ability and, you know, how they impact the team on a positive basis, great teammates. And you contrast that maybe with what Nick had to say about Jalil Billingsley. And uh, I thought it was pretty telling in some ways. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, like you said, both of these guys are physical freaks and, you know, I, I, <laughs> you can't really say much else about them, but the fact that they're putting the work in, and you know trying to improve their games is is telling it's, it says that they're you know leaders out there on the field and for will anderson you know he's a guy that's just stepping into his sophomore season and has a guy like chris allen in his position group to to still lean on but you know he's someone he talked about it in the spring and, and nick saban mentioned it today that uh he's trying to learn the whole defense and i think that will help him be more consistent uh you know, he flashed at times early last season but We've talked about it before, just how long it took for him to get that first sack. But as the season progressed and he got more and more comfortable, then we saw the sacks start to pile up for him. So um, I think with him having a spring, having a summer, that's going to be huge for Will Anderson. And then for Evan Neal, you know, he's a guy that just has tremendous size, but has um, really worked on his body uh, to get in a good position. And you know, we've seen that with those uh, split jumps he's done on those boxes over the course of the summer and off season that uh, uh, Dr. Ray likes to put out there. But just the fact that he's continuing to work and hasn't been complacent with a guy that's been, you know, for a long time, uh, projected as an early draft pick next year. Uh, I think it, it says a lot about these guys and, and what they're not only you know bringing to the table from an ability standpoint, but also set an example for their teammates around them. We'll get into some commentary from Pete Golding, defensive coordinator for Alabama, and Bill O'Brien heading into his first year as the offensive coordinator for the Crimson Side when the Bama Online Podcast returns right after this. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Back with more of the Bama Online Podcast. This one on a Sunday afternoon following media availability for Nick Saban, for defensive coordinator Pete Golding, and also new offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien. We revisited some of the comments from Nick Saban on Sunday. Now we're going to get into some coordinator talk, Charlie, and we'll do that beginning with Pete Golding. And Pete had plenty to say in his opening (laughs) comments on Sunday. I didn't know if he was going for a filibuster and leaving no time for questions, but We'll say this for Pete Golding. He's typically very informative, very insightful, takes you into some nuts and bolts talk, some football guy talk from time to time, which I appreciate. And so uh, we always look forward to the time we get with the coordinators. And so we'll talk about Pete Golding now. And he was asked pretty early on in his appearance, as far as the Q&A goes, about true freshman cornerback Kool-Aid McKinstry, a lot of folks 
uh, with their eyes and ears tuned to Kool-Aid to see if he can make that immediate impact as a true freshman corner, a lot of competition at that corner opposite Josh Job. And so I think what we heard from Pete was maturation, consistency, things that you would think would be in line with a first-year player uh, on that side of the ball at that particular position. Yeah, I mean, first off, it, it did feel very SEC media days like <laughs> and um you know, he does he gets rolling though and he gets a little fired up up there and I can appreciate that. And another thing about him is too, if you ask him about an individual, he'll talk about the individual. And mm-hmm. you know, some coaches tend to stray away from that. Actually Bill O'Brien did a little bit of that today. I think that's probably just something he's he's probably developed and and put into his repertoire uh, behind the podium as a head coach but um, I appreciate that about Pete is he's pretty open and um, you know transparent up there and um, you know I, I think the comments about Kool-Aid they're one of the things that stood out the most to me during his time up there and um, you know he, he just talked about um, and really praised Nick Saban for his evaluation of guys at that position um, because I mean Nick Saban's you know, a defensive-minded coach, but his his baby is the cornerback spot. So you can see that in just the the uh, time we are out there at practice. He spends most of his time then with the corners, and he's been a guy that's just been all over Kool Aid, and maybe not so much uh, from a harsh standpoint as we've seen maybe in in some past years. But you know, he is trying to get the best out of Kool Aid on a on a daily basis, and seems to really I just like being around Kool-Aid. And I, I think that bodes well probably for his potential and his future. Um, and so, yeah, with, with Golding, I think that his comments were pretty revealing. I, I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's a point to where you, know, you think that Kool-Aid would be able to, you know, lock down a starting job. I still think he's competing with Jalen Armour Davis and Jalen Armour Davis has been really consistently there with the ones, but he's making things interesting for sure. There's been maybe a rotation of sorts opposite Kool-Aid with that second team, but he's been the constant there with the twos and, you know, whether it's, you know, his physicality, his length, um, his ability in high school to play both sides of the ball and return punts. So having a knack for the football, just everything that you want in the corner, the golden really pointed out about him. So, yeah, I mean, I think that and, and maybe what he said about Henry Toa Toa and his opening were maybe the most revealing comments. Um, outside of that, it was it was tough not to just feel like you were listening to uh, a Southern Baptist preacher during a revival <laughs> this summer. But again, we appreciate that about Pete. Uncle Baby Billy? Is that the comp <laughs> we're drawing here with Pete Golding? No, and you're right about the Henry Toa Toa comments because those were unsolicited. Those were a part of his opening statement it wasn't as if someone asked him specifically about henry toa toa but uh it's it is worth noting that it was in line a lot of it with what we heard from nick saban about henry toa toa and how the the translation from tennessee to alabama and the defensive systems aligning like they do and his ability to really take charge maybe more so from an intangible standpoint that have stood out in terms of what we've heard from Saban and now Golding. Yeah. I mean, to me, the, the leadership thing is big because he's a new player and really you haven't seen or heard that from many players. I think the first one to come to mind is, is Landon Dickerson. And if they can have a Landon Dickerson type player on the defensive side of the football, that'll be huge for this defense because 
Um, you know, last year it, it was a little odd. And now, granted, the offensive side of the ball was loaded. We saw that in the NFL draft. But they didn't have a single team captain on the defensive side of the ball. And now all these guys are a year older. But adding a guy like Henry Toa Toa to the mix and hearing what both Golding and, and Nick Saban have had to say about him, it sounds like he's going to be right there and in, in leading and helping lead this defense. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he can be that quarterback on the field. Maybe that takes some pressure off of a Christian Harris and just lets him run free. And if, if that's the case, that's when we see Christian Harris at his best. It's just when he's a heat-seeking missile out there on the field. And uh, I think, yeah, like you said, this the the intangibles, the familiarity uh, he has with this defense of coming from Tennessee and working with uh, a guy like Jeremy Pruitt, it, it's just beneficial for him. It's beneficial for this defense because he's coming in and creating competition and just making this defense overall better. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, the fact that, that Pete said this in his opening statement I think says even more about what they think about Henry Toa Toa. Comfortability. That's what you want for all the guys. And if it works out that Henry Toa Toa is so comfortable in that play caller role, maybe that he is the guy that you lean more on to do that. And as you said, sort of free up Christian Harris to just go play football and, and make big plays uh, all the better. You know, you, 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 that's, that's a big part of trying to sort through a lot of this in the preseason as well. And I also thought it was interesting the correlation that Pete Golding provided Charlie in terms of takeaways last year and what they equated to for that Alabama offense, as he noted, 4.7 points per turnover is what Alabama got out of those takeaways. He wants more of them in 2021. And part of that ties into something we talked about on the podcast here recently, being a little more efficient, a little more effective and third down opportunities as a defense. But Man, when you talk about some of the pieces that we've covered just in this podcast and some other ones, it's hard to see Alabama not improving uh, in both those areas. What about Bill O'Brien? I think probably of the three, you always want to hear from Nick Saban, the entire college football world does. But was Bill O'Brien at the top of your batting order in terms of guys that you were really interested in hearing from today of this trio? Yeah, I mean, the the thing with him is the newness. You know, we haven't heard from him. And, you know, we only hear from coordinators at this time of year and then in the postseason. So, you know, the, the bowl game, the college football playoff, the national championship game. So, you know, the, these these moments are almost precious <laughs> like <laughs> a, a beat writer standpoint. And, you know, hearing from uh, a former NFL head coach who's now the offensive coordinator – um, you know, that's, that's who you want to hear from maybe the most. I think fans would probably agree with that. And, you know, that's what I had penciled down to, to write about today. And, you know, there was, it was almost a stream of consciousness kind of thing. There was a, there was a direct line and, and theme with his, um, you know, press conference. You know, he, he opened it up talking about how excited he is to, to be at Alabama and things like that. But he talked about a lot of things like, um, just how much, how different, the college game is from when he was at Penn state back in 2013. Um, you know, we've seen the, the college game evolve and transform since then. And, you know, he, he talked about how Alabama's offense has, has changed and, um, just how the, the Penn state experience was beneficial for him and how it shaped him. So, you know, for him, it wasn't anything groundbreaking, you know, um, he didn't have anything maybe revealing to say about Bryce young, um, or anything like that. 
and he, he talked about the um Bryce Young being a good teammate and caring about the team, which is, you know, another step in him becoming, you know, more comfortable as a leader and a commander out there on the field. But he said the same about all the quarterbacks, even the walk-ons. Um, so you can tell that he's familiar and, and maybe comfortable with the new guys around him. He, he said the what you would expect of how this is Alabama's offense. And the offenses, while they don't change, they're going to be different year to year because you base them on your personnel. And he talked about being happy to be back with Doug Marone. But maybe not as revealing as comments um, from Pete Golding. But you could tell he's comfortable up there. I mean, hell, dealing with the, the NFL media since, um, what's it now, the last seven years. Uh, I'm sure that you know he's he's more than comfortable behind the podium, but uh, it was good to hear from him. And um, you know, I'm I'm sure fans are are very eager for September 4th just to see what this offense will look like. Yeah, his experience in that spot of being an NFL head coach, a Power Five head coach uh, at Penn State before heading to Houston, it showed up. Uh, yeah, I thought he was. He was cordial and, and engaging, but at the same time, didn't really <laughs> go too deep. Didn't fall for sort of the comparisons or, you know, those uh, hypotheticals that we know Nick Saban loves so much when he gets them. Uh, but he was he was nice in, in how he handled it. Um, you know, I, I did think it was interesting. Again, we talked about it before. We've noted it before on the website, the relationship with Doug Marone. I think that was huge for both those guys. In, in joining the Alabama staff. But as O'Brien mentioned, family decision has a couple of teenage sons. I think maybe from that perspective, UA fits for various reasons, not just in terms of football. And um, you said it. I thought he was very much in line with referring to it as the Alabama offense. Didn't really want to go down any roads as far as his style as a play caller. Um but it was good to see him nonetheless, you know, uh, we, we, we had kind of waited on that opportunity and, and we know this, it, it is the Alabama offense. Uh, I think, you know, we talked about this before as much as anything, his ability to develop Bryce Young, uh, in this offense and as we've talked about before as well, some of the advantages you have, uh, as a college offensive coordinator and what you're allowed to do by rule. Uh, should prove beneficial as well. Anything else we want to add here, Charlie, before we get out of here on a Sunday afternoon? No, I mean, it was it was very Saban-like with his comments, and I'm sure fans appreciate that. I'm sure Saban appreciates that. I don't, I don't know if he sweats these guys stepping up there, at least not since Lane Kiffin was in town, but uh, I think, you know, he doesn't have to worry about anything with, with Bill O'Brien. But no, I mean, you know, this week will be busy. Um, we're going to have interviews Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, in two days of, of viewing. So there'll be plenty more to come. Um, you know, I, I know Kirk is still, he's going to be posting something on Pete Golden and his comments. I posted a story on, uh, O'Brien and, and really the kind of the housekeeping that we talked about at the top with, with Nick Saban. So you can see those full quotes there, but I guess just, if anything, stay tuned to the website because it's going to be pretty hot and heavy for the next, you know, well, actually now until January. If we're being pray for honest. Pray for dry conditions on Monday <laughs> That's if true. you like a practice report, right? Yep. You don't need rain on Monday no afternoon. No rain. They can start raining as soon as we, you know, walk off the practice field. That's fine. Right. But uh, <laughs> not until then. All right, Charlie. Well. Not as busy as we typically would be on a media slash fan day, but 
got plenty of coverage nonetheless, as Charlie outlined for you there at BamaOnline.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Bama Online podcast. Simple as a click or two. Leave us a rating and a review while you're there. That would be greatly appreciated as well. For Charlie Potter, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us right here. And keep it locked to BamaOnline.com for all things Fall Camp 2021. So long, everybody.